0: If you like this episode, please subscribe, share with others, rate and review, so we can continue to bring you great programming. Welcome to Inclusion Catalyst with your hosts, Mickey Desai and Susan Cooper. We invite diversity leaders to the table to deconstruct complex social justice issues and showcase the best inclusion practices in our workplaces and our communities.
1: Hello, this is the Inclusion Catalyst. I'm your host for today, Mickey Desai. Very happy to be speaking with Kirsten Elise Dunn, a formal mayoral candidate in the Atlanta race for mayor. Kirsten, how are you?
0: I am wonderful. I'm excited to be here today.
1: Absolutely. Let's go. You and I were talking about the results of the election and and, and of course the idea that you didn't make it, which is actually a huge positive more than it is a negative and not very disappointing at all. Uh, You got a call from... A local politician slash celebrity. Uh can you tell us that story?
0: So she called me up and um I won't say her name, but she called me up and and basically told me first she was watching the race and congratulations. And um, and she said, Kirsten, I'm glad you didn't win. And I said, What do you mean? And she said, Well. Look at your polling numbers. For you to have polled at number five, and you're, you know, a transplant, not original Atlanta. No, you know, a lot of people didn't really know your name, but you polled that high out of fourteen candidates. And she said, you know, if you had a, you know, had more time, you would have took it. She said, but I'm glad you didn't because you can get more done without the restrictions. And people, she said, basically everybody I met voted for me. So, and, and that's really what it came down to. They see the need, Atlanta, we know we need to heal. And, and I'm a unity. They called me the unity mayor throughout the whole thing. I'm unity and unicorns. So, um, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? That's what they were, that's what they were jokingly calling me. And, and it was, it wasn't offensive. I've I've been called worse. Right. So it wasn't offensive, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, but I'm, I'm definitely, I'm excited about next Steps. And now that I've gotten a taste of politics, I definitely don't like it. It's like Kool-Aid without sugar. Um, yes. It's it's kind of gross. But, but at the end of the day, I know it's necessary for legislation and things like that. But now um, I've gotten a taste for it. And so I'm kind of gauging what's the next steps. But as far as community work, I really know what's needed because people tell you things when you're running for office that they won't tell you when you're just a community activist trying to heal the city. So they've opened up to me about things. And now the city of Atlanta knows I'm a point of contact when it comes to what we need in the city. So because I've let them know, regardless, win or lose, I'm here. And this is how you Mm -hmm. get me. So um, I'm excited. I'm excited about Next Step.
1: Me too, but before we talk about next steps, let's talk about uh, the outcomes of the race and being offered a position on a cabinet. you got you got offered a position on somebody's cabinet, right?
0: I did. I got offered a position and um, really in dealing with because my my one of the core platforms of my run is unity and really bringing everybody together. And, and so even on my website, it's still up, on my website, KirstenDunnForMayor.com, I put together what my cabinet would look like if I had a one. And it gave everybody with the exception of two people that really, I feel like it's time for them to retire. They've had an opportunity to perform and, and haven't really performed well. And so I gave everybody a position in my cabinet and he loved that. And so he called and offered me a position in his. And, um, yeah. And so it's just, it's, it's, it's up in the air right now, honestly, because taking, and I don't, I know this sounds cocky, right. But knowing the level of the call on my life, I have to have high authority and freedom. Like it's important that I have both of those things functioning. Cause I'm not, it's just, I'm focused on allowing the city of Atlanta to heal because it's going to affect the nation, but I can't yes. be tied down just with, you know, with with operating in a cabinet, so it's still up in discussion. I haven't made the final decision. I mean, first he's got to win, you know. So yeah. I haven't made yeah. the final decision, but um, but I'll just go from there, you know, and kind of see. But I am supporting one hundred percent. Um, I've already, you know, I'm about to put out an official endorsement via press conference of the candidate that I'm choosing of the two. Um, it's kind of obvious. You could do a narrow down if you look on my website and see what I, who I gave a position to, but, um, I'm definitely, I, i you know, I'm 100% unity and I've said it from the beginning. Everybody had excellent ideas. We have to work together.
1: Yep. I, I and there, there's a couple of questions here I want to ask. So, uh, so the runoff still has to happen, and we'll see who wins the runoff. Correct. And at that point, you'll, you'll make the decision on whether or not to join the cabinet or not. But but to, to, to go back to the original conversation you had with our political celebrity friend, there's some relief in having not gotten the position, right? I mean, like, if you had become mayor, if you had, you know, if you, if you had been in the spotlight, that actually is a lot more limiting than people think, Absolutely. isn't it?
0: Absolutely. It's a lot. It's very limiting. I mean, it's limiting in how you can operate with nonprofits. It's limiting in how you can create certain partnerships and community benefit agreements um, because you're limited to the mayor's office. In taking a cabinet position, it would be the same situation, even more limiting. Um, You know, and then, you know, my my radical decisions could affect my leadership. Right. I mean, that can happen as a mayor as well, because the governor is your boss. Right. But at the end of the day, um, at the end of the day, you know, I really chose obedience when I chose to run for office. I knew it was a call. It was something that I needed to do. And I've learned so much. It was so worth it. I would do it again. It hasn't been pretty. Of course, there was a whole smear campaign about me. And I'll tell you all about that if y'all want to know. But I mean, it was like, <laughs> you know, there, there's all this stuff that that has happened. And um, and I would do it again. I definitely would yeah. do it again. I would do it different. But I would definitely do it again. Um, am I going to do it again? I don't, you know. But I, I would, you know, I mean, it just, it really yeah. all just depends. What does the city of Atlanta need right now? We need to get yeah. to healing. And what is it going to yeah. take to do that? It's going to take leadership. And I've said it from the beginning. I don't need a title to go to work.
1: That's right. That's absolutely right. I love that. I don't need a title to go to work. Mm-mm. That may be the title of this episode right here. Yeah. As long as it's just you and me talking and the internet's listening, I, I've heard something that I wanted to put on the table to get your reactions about. I've uh, There's this author that I like who said that, Anybody who runs for office and anybody who really, really wants the job should probably be the last person to have it. And I didn't know what you thought about that. And uh, and, and did that have anything to do with the smear campaign that you experienced?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not politically driven. And so the day before the election, well, actually two days before election, election was on Tuesday. On Monday, I got a call. No, it was like Friday before. I got a call from um, the largest news station here in Atlanta, and they said they would love to interview me about the race. And they had only interviewed the five candidates that raised over a million dollars. I was the only candidate that they were calling in to interview. And I had a feeling in my gut that it was a smear situation. But I was like, you know what? I'm transparent. And I've been choosing transparency from the beginning. So I'm not about to hide that now. And so I go um, to the interview. And and the lady was so nice when she greeted me and brought me in. But I can tell the atmosphere was so thick, you can cut it with a knife. It was like they were leading sheep Mm. to the slaughter. And so um, I looked over at um, at my boyfriend, and I said, "Okay, babe, you ready? Like, you know, because it's about to get raw in here." And of course, that as soon as I sat down, they asked me about my story. I told them about how I was orphaned, and you know how I ended up incarcerated after foster care, and spent several years in recidivism, and you know, I own businesses today. Oh, so did you have a company that went bankrupt in 2020? Absolutely. I did. I had a company that went bankrupt in 2020. I had to lay off seven employees. I sat down with my employees and helped them fill out unemployment paperwork. What employer does that? Anyway, But I sat that's down, great. I did that. I had to make a payment plan that's still not complete because that company is bankrupt and I can't take one company to pay for another company. I have seven that survived and, and, and two, I shut down. One, I had to bankrupt to shut down. The other one, It didn't survive COVID. And so, but I had seven companies that did survive COVID, right? And so, and that's why I'm doing this class called Recession Proof Your Business because I want to teach people what I've learned throughout the, you know, the impending recession that we have coming, right? And so um I talked about that in detail. They were like, Well, those employees are saying that they're still owed money. They I said, Yes, they are. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like it's not it's not we're saying that they're, they're not their twc is set up to pay them out as i'm paying them and um and they're like you know so what about your campaign staff didn't you fire campaign staff members they went over this whole it was like this and that's a pattern you know how does the voters of atlanta trust you so they basically set all of that up the day before election just to have it just in case because they knew I threatened to poll high.
1: Very sneaky.
0: Yeah, they knew. I, so they still haven't released the story. Um, you know, I'm set up to have a press conference, you know, and but they still haven't released the story. And I know now I really understand they just had that in their back pocket just yeah. in case I polled high so that if, you know, if I made it into the runoff, they would have some ammunition to not put me in
1: office. Gosh. Well, let's let's get away from the dirty machinations of politics and talk about the more philosophical aspects of what it means to heal the city. Mm. Now that you're now that you're no longer bound by these political constraints. Freedom. (laughs) Freedom. Yeah. (laughs) Where where do you think where do you think the wounds are and how do you think we should heal them?
0: Oh, man. So definitely um, everybody's been talking about crime, but we don't talk about the systemic issues that lead to crime. So when we talk about healing the city, the, the very first thing. So I've been having so many conversations with police officers mm. and right now the police don't feel supported in the city of Atlanta. Um, mm. And that's everywhere, though. That's not just Atlanta. But the police don't feel supported. They don't have adequate equipment. I mean, literally, they are doing their rounds in the high crime areas in paddy wagons because we don't have Ooh. cars. We're we're short on cars. So it looks like they're going to collect slaves. Okay. They're driving around yeah. in these paddy wagons. The the community is seeing that and feeling very intimidated. They're not looking at the police officers as people. I was talking to this one officer at Lennox Mall and he was like, I have a three-year-old that I have to go home to. And I'm answering domestic violence calls that end up end up with gunshots fired. And you know, they're talking mm. about their real life people. And so one of the core pain points are things that we have to do. And, and I'm setting things up to do this is we have to create a marketing campaign that paints police officers as real people and we also have to have a marketing campaign that's telling the truth about what's happening with everyday citizens of Atlanta. So why are they creating larceny, you know, larceny theft? Why is car larceny right. the largest crime and it's between the ages of 16 to 25 year olds? So it's it's mm-hmm. our young and the majority of them are African American males. It's our young black men that are breaking into cars in Atlanta just to survive. So we need to like cover this. We need to allow the media to display the truth and then also have platform conversations with people of influence to talk about how do we heal this and give real life checkpoints that people can walk away with. So I'm going to put together a, um, like a summit. And, and a rally that i can gather up the community together let's talk about how we're going to heal our city i'm about to start a um, campaign cost hashtag heal atlanta and then also hashtag do good atlanta we're going to start just showering love in the city um because if we can start seeing each other as people and not just as you know a, a, you know that that's just the person That's somebody that doesn't affect me. I don't care what's going on with them. The homeless population is off the chain. It's just all these things that are happening in our city that's all affecting the crime and affecting our safety. And we have to come together.
1: Let me ask a a very hard, what may be a very hard question, certainly a devil's advocate question. Yes. When I get pulled over, I'm aware that the police officer is a human being who has a job to go to. But why does it feel like that person is super righteous or has a much bigger ego or is trying to, you know, trying to play uh, psychological games with me instead of just being forthright and talking to me like a person who simply drove too fast. Right. Right. It it, it always feels like this weird psychological contest whenever I'm dealing with a a police officer on the road. Of course, uh, you know. Thankfully, knock on wood, I haven't been pulled over in quite a long time, right. but, but I do, I do get it. You know, I think that police think that police do have an attitude problem. So how do we, how do we get past that?
0: So the first thing that we have to understand, and I say this devil's advocate, right? But mind you, I've been maced before. Mind you, mm. I have over 14 mug shots. Mind you, I have been inmate number 1404909. So I want to say this from the position where I've been pulled over, where I've been racially profiled, where I know what it is to be inside of the system and be mm. caught in the system just because I'm an African American female that already has two strikes against her because of the color of my skin and the ethnicity, you know what I'm saying, and my culture, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I want to give that disclaimer as I'm answering this question. I also have to, as looking at it, as I understand the pain points, but I also want to pay attention to the fact that hurt people hurt people.
1: That's right, they are
0: hurting. They don't feel trusted. They took a job to protect and serve. There's this code that's extremely toxic amongst police officers. They feel like they're betraying their brothers or they're betraying their sisters in the the same uniform as them if they speak out against the toxicity. Um, You know, they feel attacked by the community. They don't feel supported. To have a political, for them to tell me, I'm the first political official or somebody that's running for office to come up to them to actually ask them what's happening in the streets. I didn't come saying, "Hey, I need you to go vote for me." You know, at the end I said I need you to vote for me, but my very first question to them was, "What's happening out here? How can how can I as a leader in this city support you?" Right. And they start telling me everything. They talk about their pension. They talk about the turnover rate and how, you know, it's, there's so many police officers needed and that they're having to answer calls for people that are having psychotic breaks when we really need to have a task force for that versus actually having to send out police officers for that. So we got to understand they have this self-righteous attitude because oftentimes when you're attacked so much, you begin to become defensive. And that's what's happening with the community. And that's what's happening with the police force. Both of us are being attacked so much that we're becoming defensive. When we get pulled over by police officers, we immediately turn on our cameras. We immediately say, I'm leaving my hands on the steering wheel like I'm terrified for my life. I'm letting you know that I'm afraid of you. I'm letting you know that I don't trust you up front and that that becomes off as defensive you know it's like it's this bounce off thing or here we go or the uh, automatic um stereotypes that if they're driving a chevy impala with rims on it or if they're driving a you know a a charger a dodge charger is the new you know chevy impala they're driving a dodge charger they're black with dreads they're selling drugs Weed is not legalizing marijuana. I mean, marijuana is not legalized in Atlanta and it should be. That's one of the first legislations I'm trying to push. I'm about to write that in January. It's getting put in. Excellent. But, but I mean, it's like one, we need to legalize marijuana because it already smells like it's legal in Atlanta. You step outside, <laughs> you're going to catch a contact.
1: <laughs> I have to laugh because, <laughs> because I think that's so true. It's so
0: true. <laughs> it already smells like it's legal. I mean, you know, so People are using it as a coping mechanism. Is it the healthiest way? Absolutely, but we need to decriminalize it. So, I mean, right, there's so right. many, um, I mean, there's so many factors, but the, to answer your question though, Mickey, hurt people hurt people.
1: Yeah, And that's right, right now,
0: healing our city is healing everybody. And that's not just saying we're just healing the community that's stuck, that, that there's a war against poverty that ends in incarceration. It, it is not illegal for me to be poor. That's not okay. Right. There's a war against poverty and it's causing people to end up in incarceration, massively black and brown people. And then you have the police over here that feel like they are being fought against instead of honored and like what they took the charge to do. There's so many factors with that. We have to create a conversation of healing for everybody. And after we create that conversation, we need to leave that conversation with an action plan. Let's not just sit around and talk about it. No, let me tell you what you need to go do. What you need to go do is when you leave here, when you leave this summit, one of the challenges that I'm gonna give everybody, and I'm gonna challenge this today, whatever Mm -hmm. city you're in, when you get off of the listening to this podcast, find an officer walk up to them unafraid and just say thank you for being out here for us cuz and we're going to get through this together. You will be shocked at what that will do as a co- and then officers that are listening to this, go to a community member That is a part of a community that's being challenged, that's in a poor community. Get out. Go play basketball with these kids. Go walk. Get out of your beat car or or paddy wagon if you're in Atlanta. Get out of your beat car or your paddy wagon and go and actually greet these people and feel the community. You got to put your hands in the soil again. We got to get back connected. So that's that's just action points that we need to take.
1: Absolutely. I, there's a whole lot that can be said for just the mere act of listening to each other. I think that's the first step in healing overall. And and we're running out of time. And so I'm going to extend the invitation to you. Let's let's do this again. Yeah, for uh, sure. I'd like to. I'd like to have another. A conversation with you about the effects of poverty. I've heard other people say, in fact, the research says that if you solve poverty problems, probably something like 90% of the city's social problems will go away. Correct. Uh, so that's, that's another issue for another topic. Yep. Um, and it's systemic.
0: it's systemic.
1: Yeah, it is systemic. Are you going to start a nonprofit or some sort of task force or something uh-huh. to, to do all this? What's your plan?
0: Yeah, so I do have one in the works. Um, because I, I get exactly how to solve the, the crime plan. I'm not saying I'm the be all do all, but I have listened to the community. And so right. I get how to solve the crime plan without locking people up and throwing away the keys. So that's the plan that I'm being asked to lead in the city. And, and I'm thinking about and con- you know contemplating doing it as a consultant versus doing it as a mm. city employee. But um, but we'll just we're gonna just have the conversation. I'm here for Atlanta. I'm here for. I'm a leader in Atlanta. Period. So we're gonna implement it one way or the other, and definitely it. I'm definitely gonna start a nonprofit.
1: Very cool. Yeah. Uh, Kirsten, I hope we can have more of these conversations for sure. If there's anything I can do to help you in this pursuit, don't ever hesitate to just reach out and touch me. I'm I'm, I'm here to help you in your cause. Absolutely. If a person wanted to learn more about you and, and to keep tabs on your endeavors, how would you suggest they do that?
0: Yeah. So you can go to all of my social media sites. So Kirsten Elise Dunn, I give my full name on purpose because I want you to be able to see my history as well as the beautiful future that I'm walking in. So Kirsten Elise Dunn, is K I. I R S T E N E L I S E D U N N. And right now my site is still up and it's just going to switch domains um, over to KirstenEliseDunn.com. Right now it's Kirsten Dun for Mayor.com. And that's I'm going to leave that up until the 12th because I have a free business class that I'm doing. I want to tell everybody about that if I can. So yeah, uh, please go to Kirsten mayor.com And register. It's absolutely free. You can give a donation if you want to. But this class is called "Recession Proofing Your Business." I lost two businesses during COVID, and I and I learned a lot. And I've also bring I'm bringing together some other business owners that talk about how do you recession proof your business for twenty twenty two because the financial market is going to change. It's going to change when the FHA moratorium is lifted so come to the class it's absolutely free it's going to be november the 12th we're leaving the site up for registration um atlantons are welcome to come in person anybody can join online it's open to anybody it's absolutely free it's my gift to the community so our businesses can survive
1: awesome thank you Uh, let's make sure we put that in the show notes as well. Kirsten, again, thank you for being my guest today on the Inclusion Catalyst. Uh, Let's do stay in touch and uh, I'll look forward to speaking with you again, hopefully sometime soon.
0: Absolutely. Have a good day.
1: (laughs) You can bring your stories to the table as a partner and a host on the Inclusion Catalyst podcast. Visit inclusioncatalyst.com and click the link that says join us as a guest host. And that's
0: it for this episode of Inclusion Catalyst. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues.